0: Welcome to Our Soul, a podcast by Kelly Fox and Terry Williams from the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Hello, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be with you again after two weeks, two messy weeks, as every two weeks are. Um, but today we have a guest. Today we have Alana Garrett-Ferguson. Um, from New Voices Cleveland and we are excited to have her today and yeah so Alana why don't you say a little bit about yourself
1: awesome so my name is Alana Garrett Ferguson I work at New Voices for Reproductive Justice in our Cleveland office um I'm the community organizer slash policy advocate um so yeah I love everything around reproductive justice abolition I love Jesus, Um, I'm a justice curator, and I'm a media enthusiast, so I'm grateful to be here. Thank you guys. I support RCRC, all of your guys' amazing work, so thank you.
2: Repro, religion, all the things that we're about here on our soul I love it, love it, love it! I understand that you have a little news in terms of your vocation, is that right? Is that right, yes. can, can we share that on the podcast?
1: Absolutely. So, starting January 11th, um, I will be the organizing and social impact manager at Ohio Women's Alliance. Woo. So I'm Woo. super super excited, they're such an amazing org. Um, and I really get to focus my work on Ohio. Thank you,
2: amazing. Thank you.
0: Yes, so uh, today, I mean, we've been behind the scenes having some really great conversations with you, Alana. Um, and today we are finally putting some of that conversation on recording to share with our audience um, about all the <laughs> crazy things that are uh, going on and that have been going on in the last couple weeks.
2: We're in the middle of lame duck session and lame duck in Ohio means all of the nuttiest stuff that comes out Alana has been really instrumental in helping to articulate uh, some voice around some of the the worst things to go through the state house, particularly SB 27, which is a fetal remains bill that got unfortunately passed by the house and the Senate. It's sitting Mm -hmm. in front of the governor right now. And it's a, a bill that would require burial of all fetal remains that uh, has already passed through and then we're going to be working on testimony against the telemedicine ban uh, sb-260 that by the time this airs will likely have uh, already had its hearing in committee and may have already been passed by the house um so i'm i'm just interested a lot like well, in terms of legislation, I know you're working on a lot of other legislation as well. Where where are you in, in terms of lame duck? Are you done with it yet? Are you are you still fighting the good fight? Where where are you in terms of your energy right now?
1: Um, I want to keep fighting a good fight. It has been very discouraging, though, this lame duck session. Um, because in the past, at least we were able to have equitable access to submitting testimony. Um, and so it has felt very disheartening and discouraging because we know that like, there's COVID, it's real. Um, our state legislators do not value human life or science. Um, so the fact that they are exposing people to a deadly virus or in a global pandemic, uh, we have a lot of legislators that are not wearing masks um they're testing positive. Um, and so we know for a fact that testifying person is probably not the safest thing to do Um, and while written testimony is great for the record because of the increasing amount of uh, written testimony they're not really reading during session Um, and so it has made it very very disheartening um, in regards to policy so a lot of my work has focused on trying to uh, make the media and the public aware yeah. That this lame duck session, we are still focusing on anti-choice um, rhetoric and anti-choice fields and really disenfranchising people, birthing people's rights
0: mm-hmm. to have
1: and choose whether they want to have a child or not instead yeah. of increasing public health access.
2: And, and just to jump in for, for those who aren't familiar... Um, many organizations have asked to have the privilege to testify virtually to the Ohio um, General Assembly. And particularly in the House and also the Senate, we've been denied that access, even though, um, you know, earlier in session, there were quite a few of these reopen Ohio forums that they decided to have virtually and allow people to, to speak virtually. They're not allowing testimony in a safe virtual space for people to be able to share their their impact with their legislators so yeah yeah. and that
0: and that kind of continues to make it clear that like uh our legislators are not taking care of the community that is the state of ohio and all of its citizens and um it it's so it's just like unfair treatment and it's just Appalling, honestly. Um, as as someone who has dealt with COVID um, mm-hmm. personally, uh, like it's not, even though it might be uh, not as bad for me, it is so much worse for others, and it sickens me <laughs> that the state house, where it could be so easy to just do things like wear a mask or allow a virtual testimony, they are unwilling to even do those like minute things. Um, so.
1: Just seeing a threat to our democracy when we don't mm-hmm. have that type of access mm-hmm. and Ohioans mm-hmm. um, to really have a safe, equitable way to express ourselves. Really, it's a threat to our First Amendment right, um, mm-hmm. and it's really unfortunate. But it seems that that is something that Ohio is um, committed to do, which is to keep community and com- to keep citizens. From exercising their constitutional right to participate in government.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, we got to have a, a robust conversation before, uh, you know, the, the podcast today about how the structure of our state and systems within our state are just really, really good at keeping people separated, keeping systems and constituencies and even geographies separated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we spoke for, for quite a while about the divisions between the three C's, you know, Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, as well as, uh, you know, greater parts of Northwest Ohio and Southeastern Ohio. These separate regions are just totally kept apart by media markets, by regional planning, by, you know, all of this local control kind of stuff. And our state house sure isn't pulling people together. Um, I, I know this past week we have seen a real uh, movement in Columbus around um, you know a, an unjust killing, around a murder uh, at the hands of police of a man named Casey Goodson. And I was really fascinated to hear, Alana, your perspective because you, you named a person in Cleveland who was murdered as well, who, frankly, you know, I'm ashamed to say I had never heard his name until uh, sitting here and hearing from you. So I want to make sure the people who are listening here get to hear Arthur Keith's name. Can can you tell us, uh, just just go, just go.
1: Um, So Arthur King uh, was a 19-year-old black man um, in Cleveland, Ohio. And on November 13th, he was killed by a public housing authority, Cuyahoga County Metropolitan Housing Authority um, police officer outside of the King Kennedy housing complex. This was done in front of children. Um, And so it's really been a very big public outcry as he was a child, a teenager, who did a lot of great work um, in the community. He was a part of Boys and Girls Club Um, And unfortunately, his family has not received justice. Uh, We are still asking as activists and community members for the tape of the killing to be released. Because of course, what we know is that anytime there's a state sanctioned shooting, there's gonna be some type of discrepancies in the story. Um, And so the family still hasn't gotten like a clear story. The officers told them one, they told the media another one. Um, And it's just really unfortunate because This happened November 13th and in less than three weeks, well, less than a month, exactly probably three weeks later, December 4th, Casey Gooding Jr. is shot in Columbus. Um, And so in the state of Ohio, we have essentially killed state sanctioned violence um, to unarmed black men. And the fact that unfortunately, the discrepancies, inequities, capitalism, one of those Black men's story has been elevated. It has received national attention. Um, But this other young man, his story has not. Mm -hmm. And what even makes it more difficult, I think, is the fact that this was a CMHA officer. Um, And so for a lot of you that don't know, here um, in Cleveland, in Kyle County, we have multiple police forces that are private. Um, Our RTA, our Regional Transit Authority, the bus, they have their own police force. Cleveland Clinic um, Hospital has their own police force. UH University Hospitals, um, one of our community development corporations, University Circle, uh, which houses a lot of our arts, music district and Case, they have their own police force. Case Western Reserve University also has their own police force as do Cleveland State University, as do CMSD, our school district has their own, and then of course our public housing authority.
2: And this is so, just amazing to me. I, I just have to say, like, as, as an Appalachian, right? Where you've got like, if you live in the city, you got the city police and then you got the sheriff. And if you grew up where I grew up, you just got the sheriff, right? I mean, you've just so like it's blowing my mind. You know, you you said earlier these are not um, like rent-a-cop, uh, you know, mall cop kind of things. These are actual, like, legitimate, full-fledged police forces mm-hmm. within police force jurisdictions. I just... yeah, uh, they
1: enter into, like, memorandum of understanding with the local police force, um, but they operate pretty much, essentially, like, outside of the scope. Um, and they have a lot of the same authority that the other ones have. Um, and their radius is probably around two, three miles outside of their district. So like CMH, if a crime is committed, but within a mile of a CMHA housing complex, the CMHA officer still has jurisdiction to arrest you and to deal with that crime, even though it wasn't technically on their property as do Cleveland Police Department. Um, So we're talking about very impoverished neighborhoods we are talking about predominantly black and brown communities. Um, Most of the time, about 85% to 90% of the people who are in our housing authorities are black and brown women who are mothers and children. Um, We have a lot of elderly people in this population. And so to think that this man was killed in such a residential area um, Mm. and it has not received any national attention is very disheartening. And it does show a discrepancy in our media outlets, because of course, you know, Columbus, that's their state capital. They have a lot of resources. Um, they have really good media outlets. Earlier this year, Plain Dealer laid off 70% of their staff. So it's, we don't have the same amount of journalism um, opportunities here. And we're seeing that occur, but like you stated, in Northwest Ohio and in Southern Appalachia, Ohio, it's kind of a similar, like, discrepancy and inequity um, What people don't... Their stories, Ohio's Ohioan stories are not being shared. They're not being told. Um, and it's a different method of disenfranchisement, especially to keep people from engaging in democracy, to keep poor people, uh, people who they don't deem as worthy due to, you know, education, income mm. disparities. To really keep them disenfranchised, yes. um, it's a major injustice that we're seeing here. Um, yeah, it's really sad. So the Casey Gooden, it was it was very hard. <laughs> um, I know here at New Voices, of course, as an RJ org, we're like this is Black death to killing the Black bodies. Um, is always important to us, and it was very hard because it was like we're making this statement. But we also have to acknowledge mm-hmm. that we need to make a statement about this other death and to mm-hmm. think that two Black bodies was killed um, through state sanctioned violence within a month, global pandemic. We just, we are off the heels of summer protests for Black Lives Matter. Um, it's scary. It's, it's scary to yes. be a Black person and be of color. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I feel like um, this this lack of um, representation of, especially Arthur Keith's um, death is kind of like a continuation of what you were talking about that first amendment right, not being um, honored and uplifted um, and it just being limited. Because if we do not know the stories that are happening in our own state, then like, (laughs) how are we supposed to talk about the rights that we need, you know? If we don't know about these, these murders that are happening right in our own neighborhoods, like, how, how are we supposed to demand the kinds of things that we need? Um, And, like, um, I think some people will say, like, well, we had the things for, for Casey Goodson, and um, that's important, and it is, but just because we, like, just because one Black man died in Ohio does not mean that we cannot uplift every, state-sanctioned Black death that happens in Ohio, you know, because Arthur Keith deserves the same amount of attention as Katie Goodson, and it's a shame. That and we, we
1: know that t- attention in media equals a certain form of justice, right? Yeah. So you, mm-hmm. when you have that type of momentum, so you did mm-hmm. have, right, two major protests this weekend in Columbus. Mm-hmm. You did have, when the Ohio um, State Attorney General declined to take the case, you did have this federal circuit court district out of Cincinnati say, wait, well, let, let us look at it and see. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you have opportunities where it's not perfect. We know our court system is not the most perfect system at all. And that's mm-hmm. across, you know, America, which mm-hmm. you do have an opportunity at least for justice um, to at least be attempted right and so it gives a new meaning to the amendment of freedom of the press Mm -hmm. because without the press without that public opinion without public pressure we didn't have a major protest here the Mm -hmm. the demonstration here was very small i think very few people even know about it Mm -hmm. um that can be attributed to of course like our media has been dominating a new circuit with COVID and COVID cases because mm-hmm. um, of course Ohio County is red um, but it does it, it limits the amount of justice that can have because at this point we're just asking for a tape to be released. Mm-hmm. We haven't even gotten to the the ask around and, um, investigations and asking for like our state attorney general to get involved and asking for you know, this to be elevated to these other courts. We're still at a very basic level after three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, what we're seeing is, is inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to compare because as you said, a death is a death.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if anything, it shows that there are some, there's some bloodhounds in Ohio when it comes to police officers. Like I think that the entire system needs to look at how we police in the state of ohio um because in two major markets there was two major deaths of black men Mm -hmm. Um, and so i think that in itself needs to be addressed um Mm -hmm. it's it's not a competition or competing if anything Mm -hmm. we're just saying like the media markets need to be improved there's no reason why we don't hear about things in rural ohio
0: Mm-hmm. And there's I, no
1: reason why I shouldn't know what's and going I, on. I have to pick up the phone or text one of you guys and be like, "Wait, what's happening?" Mm-hmm. That should that shouldn't be a thing, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I, it's also I, like, I think, oh, sorry. well, I I just think that there's there's something to be said for the dilution of power in urban communities that experience poverty and in rural communities that experience poverty. Very different experiences and certainly racially very different experiences. The upshot, though, is uh, both of those communities suffer when there is a lack of resourcing to tell it like it is, to to expose reality for reality's sake. You know, for for us to be able to see and hear the story, we had to have people investigating and pressing and asking questions and it just seems like that happened a lot more thoroughly around the murder of casey goodson than it has happened around the murder of arthur Keith. you know
0: and, and uh th- that's obviously not because like it's not like there are not very talented organizers in cleveland right. Right. or very talented organizers in all the places outside of um, Columbus, because like, just because they're not getting the same national attention is not because there's not talented people there. It's because there's the lack of resources to really truly tell it like it is and have people listen to you. Um, There's a
1: systemic,
0: there's a systemic goal to mm -hmm.
1: keep people disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. And to have a state, um, to have a form of control over people, because I believe when you are, when you are able to take storytelling away from people, mm-hmm. and power of the press away from people, then that is a major way to disempower them. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us, you know, we we are faith believing people, mm-hmm. and so we know even when we think of the the faith that we all claim and we love so dearly, a lot of it was oral tradition. A lot of it was about hearing from God. And you heard stories that were shared over and over. And so even with that amount of power in the oral history that we know that even comes from the faith that we all believe in, what does it mean then when people can't do that same thing? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. we, we see the power of storytelling because... It's been over 2,000 years and we still believe in Jesus. And now how many translations even of the Holy Bible has there been? And a lot of it started from oral history. It started from that storytelling. We know from when we think of slavery. That wasn't written down at first Mm -hmm. because the people who had access to write these things down were the same colonial powers and the same white supremacist powers that were actually enslaving people. So it was storytelling. And it was a lot of times black people coming up with their own forms of media, their own papers, they're sending it across the country. And so when you get a people that are so disenfranchised, so impoverished that they are no longer able to share and tell their stories, then Mm. you have really disempowered them. Mm-hmm. Um, that disempowerment can go for generations,
2: unfortunately. Now mm-hmm. you you are singing my song right now. Mm-hmm. Talk talk about storytelling, right? Appalachia, right? Like that's that's the heart of who we are in in this place because, you know, there there is this separation between, you know, storytelling and writing stuff down. Right? Anybody can write stuff down, and you write stuff down so you can forget stuff. Right? You tell a story so that it propels dialogue, right? And so you look at written material, not all written material is just writing stuff down, right? Like newspapers are telling a story, right? Narratives, sermons like that are put there to tell a story. But we have a system that loves to write stuff down and then never look at it again, right? How many police reports get written down and they write it down so that they cover everything, and then they and then they just set it aside. It doesn't tell a story; it tells the CYA, right? The 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 cover yeah. your bases, right? I mean, that's that's what that happens. But for me, and I, I I'm interested to know your perspective on this, Alana and and Juris Kelly. Um, in my culture, the most dangerous thing for systems of injustice and inequity the most dangerous thing for those systems are for people to tell their story unapologetically and to tell their story boldly. They don't have to, you know, be able to make a subject and a verb agree. They don't have to know how to type it out and write it out and make it all pretty. But when they speak their story out loud and other people hear that and it lodges in their hearts, right? I mean, that that becomes the religious... Impetus, right behind uh, many of our traditions. Certainly, my tradition in Christianity, but many other religions as well. That when you speak it into being, it has legs.
1: And when you think of in the uniqueness and the um the Black American, the Black African American experience in this country, our storytelling is not just
0: oral. Yeah,
1: our storytelling is felt. Because you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right, Terry. When you say that, like everything that's written down is not a story. Some of it is just a report. Mm -hmm. Some of it is just a a narration or a theory out of someone's mind. And so in in Black American culture, the way we tell our story, we tell our story in a way that you feel it. Mm -hmm. You it is through movement. It is through dance. It is through the arts. We add Mm -hmm. a color and a visual to what our story is. And so it's not just of that's power itself is not just me telling you this, but it's in the inflection of my voice. It is when we are putting on skits in our community. It is Mm -hmm. when we are dancing through our pain. It is when we are showing you through poetry or through visual arts, when we are painting, we are drawing, when we are able to put movement in a visual and tie that all together with our story, then you really know our power. It is a mm-hmm. way that we fight for our own liberation because we know mm-hmm. even during slave time, they weren't writing, but the way in which they were telling their mm-hmm. story so that they could be liberated, a lot of times it was through dance. It was through putting the map of, of um, the road to abolition through the braiding patterns of our hair. It mm-hmm. was through the songs in which we were singing that were code for where we should go. It was through the artistic things that we was writing down, the pictures and the biographies that we display. And so in our culture, storytelling is not just writing. It's not just oral. It is in our ancestry, in our blood of being, and it impacts us in so many ways. And it infuses movement. It infuses all of our God-given senses. Um, and so it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about um, the arts and culture because it, is, it shows you this broader landscape. It is something that you can't change. You know, you, you, mm. you can show, for example, the Mary and blessed, blessed Mary and Jesus. But when you actually are able to see the Black Madonna and Mary that looks like you and a brown Jesus that looks like you, that yes, it, that matches the words that we know in the Bible about hair of wool and fiery eyes, then it does something, those words hit you differently. They speak to your spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. for our culture, it is very important that we have access and the resources to tell our story, not just unapologetically through our words and through writing stuff down, but also through the essence of our being, through our movement, through our colorful uh, paintbrush that we oftentimes use or our pencils. Um, in every which way that you could think of. And so I really just want to lift up, like it is a, a full body and spiritual experience uh, for Black Americans to tell their story, especially in this country. And we try to do it in that way so that it cannot be whitewashed, so mm-hmm. that we will be liberated. It gives people hope when they get to see it, they get to feel it, because they also are seeing that in spite of this injustice, there's some joy, there's talent, there's yeah. beauty in this pain, mm-hmm. and this is going to be shared and it's going to last for generations.
2: Yes, yes, Alana Garrett Ferguson. I want to spend all day with you, <laughs> and I know we're, we're coming to the end of our time here on the podcast, but we're going to have a podcast exclusive over oh. on uh. On our uh, Podbean site, Apple Podcast, a couple other places off the radio, but you have to promise that you're going to come back in 2021, yes. so that Absolutely. we can keep this dialogue going. Um, I'm just, I'm just so blessed by, by your words in this moment, and we promise in this space to continue holding space for story, mm-hmm. for story for, for people like Arthur Keith for folk like Casey Goodson, for the people who mourn them, and for the people who don't even know their names yet. This concludes the radio edit. Keep listening for our podcast exclusive content. More from this episode of Our Soul that you can only hear Right here. Anyway, uh, I still cannot believe how many police forces you have in Cleveland. It's I insane. Just can't.
0: Yeah, Ugh. I did want to um, say something like along the lines of what we were just talking about, though. Um, so uh, when when you were talking about story, something that we talked about last week is like the the empowerment that not only um, oh that the person who is being heard gets from having their story told and how that like knowing that your story is being passed on to someone else and even like the the act of getting those feelings and emotions out that it can be passed on is something that is so life-giving and can give confidence and like uh, motivation to the person telling their story like the act of telling your story in itself is moving and powerful and the act of being heard is something that can really drive a fire um (laughs) I wanted to share this like TikTok that I saw um which it's totally a joke you must understand this is a joke but um the the lady in the TikTok was like there's a reason why you're depressed think of how much work you could do if you were not depressed how powerful how much things you could get done if you didn't have this depression on you, the world couldn't handle it. The universe could not handle the kind of power that you would have if you did not have depression. And um, I've been thinking about that when we are thinking about these areas that are under resourced, under under, uh, covered by media, um, and just like underfunded and Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that like they should be underfunded at all, but I'm saying that there's a reason why there are powers that are not allowing for those areas to be covered well and and are not allowing for those people to like fully step into their power because if they step into their power, when they step into their power and they have the funding and the, um, outlets and the attention that they deserve, um, the the systems that are like being held up by putting other people down could not take the kind of power that people would have if they were just had the resources, you know. No,
1: I agree with you. What I have found is that media impacts culture, and culture impacts systems. Mm-hmm. Like the driver of systems is culture, which mm-hmm. definitely comes from media and so one of the interesting things I had been looking up is like um, when it comes to uh, violence against women Mm -hmm. and so of course you know abolition does not want prison so I started just doing some quick things around like what what are things that could really curb violence against women one of the number one things that came up was media and I was very shocked Um, and I was reading more and it was like no how many shows can you just turn on the TV and you see like a woman being brutalized? And it's just nothing. Right. And so mm-hmm. then it was like, how many songs do you know? that talk about violence. Mm-hmm. It was like violence is literally in the fibers of American culture. It's normalist. The, the violent TV shows, the cop shows, all of this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, and it was very like whitewashed, but it was, it made me think about like, Yes, that's, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because we want to tell their stories, of course, if you want to express yourself. But it was like in the way in which our country um, celebrates violence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the fact that like you can turn on the TV, you can listen to so many different songs, no matter what genre and hear this, what is it now doing to your psyche? You're mm-hmm. Because even if you see that there's punishment for those people, you also see that it's kind of like a normal thing that happens and then you get punished for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very interesting because it was like, if you really want to curb some of this violence, then we need to curb the violence that we see every day, which, is, which was in our media. Um, and I w- it was very shocking because I was like, I never thought of it that way. I'm thinking of so much stuff like politically and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see it, like the connections, even just in that small thing between mm-hmm. like media and culture. And then what does it mean systemically? I think you're absolutely right. If, if they actually put tools in place for people to tell the stories they want to make the media and the outlets they want, it would mm-hmm. change our cultures and systems. And there's people
0: power that like our systems the way they are. hmm like, and um, when I have been talking to people about the, especially the fetal remains bill, mm-hmm. um, talking to them about like how stupid, <laughs> how stupid it is. Um, like, I feel like a lot of it is because um, the people, the powers that be um, keep people from like knowing basic things. Mm-hmm. Like, like it doesn't, like when I think of the the fetal remains, like, that why <laughs> why would you there is no reason especially to to
2: when the law when the law will force people to violate their religious beliefs right like jewish folk ain't going out here and burying no fetal tissue mm-hmm. in the jewish it's like, tradition there's it's like no do people do people know what, what that earth. looks like yeah I think yeah there's a
1: lot of um conspiracy theory like mm-hmm. i remember this conversation and you probably should edit this part out but there is a conversation and someone reached out to me because i think i made a post about it on instagram and they were convinced that and i think it only happened in two places in those that planned parenthood so fetus aborted fetuses oh my system.
2: god oh my god. Being, i can hear Are i you can, can this
1: hear is, this is supposed to stop those people from selling tissue and i was like freaking idiot
2: i um, can hear iris iris harvey and Christian Devil trotter fantastic fantastic leaders of Planned fairhood in greater ohio and uh southwest ohio i can hear them like screaming into the void right now because that fake news that conspiracy theory stuff has been peddled and pushed and jammed through all kinds of fake media channels that now people are repeating it as if uh-huh. it actually happened. It's the same level of reality as mass election fraud. It's so big, we can't even find it, mm-hmm. right? I, I just, yeah, so I, I think you're right. People, media drives culture Mm-hmm. through that, that pathway, right? Mm-hmm. It, it drives that, that cultural shift, even if it's bad media, even mm-hmm. if it's wrong media. Right? because mm-hmm. People
1: feel that they're, and I, you know, it's, it's sad because I do think in, um, I don't know if it came from church culture or in some of our more indigenous communities, but I do remember hearing even growing up that there's always some truth to a lie Because, you know, it's his story, her story, and then the truth. And I think because some of that is so ingrained in us, that even when we hear these crazy, egregious Mm -hmm. stories, we still, we remember that from the back of our mind. So we're like, hmm, you know what? There's some truth to that. And Mm -hmm. whatever we choose to to grab onto, Mm -hmm. that may reinforce an ideal that we already have. So if I... Like, the person was like, you know, what about Margaret Sanger? And I was like, do you know the work they have done to, like, separate themselves from mm-hmm. the legacy of Margaret Sanger? Like, I've met people at Planned Parenthood, Black women, who are, like, culture change? Like, they have been working on this. They've done, my thing. they've done a damn good job of it. And so he's like, yeah, but that's their history. And then he hears, like, this rumor, this fake news about this fetal tissue remains thing and he's like no there's a court case and, da, da, da. and so what he chooses to believe right and to grab hold to it wasn't what i was telling him like look they changed i, I can tell mm-hmm. you, like some ex-employees i know who were like high up executives what he chooses to listen to is well what i read out at court case was mm-hmm. even if it was deemed um like they were not guilty there's still some truth to it they just had money and power and it traces back to this. And,
0: and it's, like, it's so hard because like in some cases like there there is situations where like uh, there I mean I feel like there have been situations where uh, that like there is some type of truth to a story that is a lie that like the oh my gosh that the uh, the powers that be tell you know yeah. um, but like. The problem is that those same powers are not allowing everyone to have the same resources to figure out when they're lying, <laughs> you yeah. know? And critical thinking skills. I think in that one, it was like, it was
1: one of them, but it was very small and it had to do with like research mm-hmm. and people were like, and I remember telling him like, you know, this has more to do it, research. And he was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And it was like, but you were just like yelling at me. In my DMs for the past 45 minutes about how I was wrong in posting this mm-hmm. because you heard this story and you traced it back to this. And this little part was true, but it was true in this, this essence. And now you're like, oh shit. And I'm like, I'm glad you didn't testify. Like it was like this whole thing. I'm like, <laughs> think about how the damage you would have done. And of course, I already passed anyway, but I'm like, you could have done so much damage because after the fact i was able to like show you like how this all connects in that way but before i could have had that conversation you already did this damage um mm-hmm. now you told a story of a lie that has now affected four or five people which is why we have these egregious laws being passed that makes no sense
2: and, and then see, not everyone
0: I, has a you to tell them.
2: Right. And I, I, I run into this stuff all the time d- down here in Southern Ohio that you get people who they want the whole world to be nice and simple. You know, oh, that doesn't make common sense. Right. That that doesn't match my common sense. We get into this discussion, whether it's about covid most recently or any anything related to abortion um, anything related to LGBTQ rights, like, um, you know, liberative justice, bail reform, you name it, people come down to, well, that's just too complicated, or that doesn't sound right, because it doesn't make sense to me. And I just, I like to tell people again and again and again, it's not common sense, because it's science. If it were common sense, we wouldn't need science. We've got people who spend an inordinate amount of time studying all of this stuff. You ain't smarter than them. I guarantee you do not have a better set of skills than every single professional who tells you that this vaccine is a good idea. All right. And still, still, we end up in these conversations about, well, I just don't I just don't know about that because, you know, I've got my own opinion. Well, I, I get it, but not every opinion is equal in weight, right? Mm-hmm. And, and don't like
1: take it, don't take it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, why why are you out here evangelizing against something you don't even know about when the reality is you just want to say I'm afraid that it might not be right for me. So I'm not gonna take it. Right? Mm-hmm. That's different <laughs> than saying, and I don't think anybody else should either. Because that's where we get into the real problem of what you were talking about earlier, about people making decisions for other folk. I got into a great conversation with a friend of mine over a tax bill that was was up. It was a levy, right, up for election down here. And he said, you know, I'm really mad about this because everybody gets to vote on this levy, but it only affects property owners and I just think property owners should be the ones that get to vote on this because, you know, all these all these renters get to, to, you know, vote on this. And I said, you know, you might have a point. I'd be completely in favor of limiting the electorate on tax levies to only include people who, who live and own uh, property, and, and you know, live with that property, provided we can also limit any discussion about, laws that relate to abortion to people who've had one. Mm. Let me tell you, he was not a happy man. And then mm-hmm. you start talking about, well, let, let's talk about the justice system, right? Y'all, y'all look around and say, I don't see anything wrong with the justice system. Well, how, how many times have you been in jail? How many times have you been before a judge, right? If we limited votes on the incarceral system to people who'd had experience with it or their families, I guarantee we'd get a different result right? Mm-hmm. But these systems are made because people in power like them that way. They are kept that way because folk who are in authority and power are advantaged by them again yes. and again. Mm-hmm. And and we're ending up in the system of misinformation where misinformation is the new dilution, right? It's the new way to dilute the power of ordinary people by saying, eh, you know, really, uh, We've got this alternative fact, and we think our alternative fact is correct, even though there's no evidence to support it, there's uh, no experience to support it, and every person that we put up to really testify about this uh, really doesn't have a story that checks out.
1: They right? renamed uh, a theory with alternative fact. Mm-hmm. So remember, we learned about the scientific method in grade school, mm-hmm. and you have mm-hmm. the a theory or hypothesis. You gotta prove it. They're mm-hmm. ruling the hypothesis with an alternative fact. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not. There's many steps before your your hypothesis becomes a theory. You know, you have to you have to try it out. You have what materials that you use, you have to research, you have to experiment. And we are missing everything between the hypothesis and the theory. Amen. And so instead of that, we just skipped all those steps and said, you know what, this is an alternative fact. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. that is a hypothesis that has not been tried, tested, hasn't Mm -hmm. been-
0: And even when a like scientific hypothesis is tried and tested and comes out like a certain way, they keep their, like the, the point of science is that you have to document how you did it so somebody else can replicate it. And like Mm -hmm. the minute that somebody else replicates it and it doesn't come out the same way, then they have to retest it. They got to figure out why did that thing turn out different? Did they do something differently? If they didn't, then like the original hypothesis is wrong because this one thing happened differently and then like they have to make a new hypothesis like that's you you don't just make a theory and it works for you and then it just has to work for everyone else it it has to be something that is tested and true for everyone And, and so if it's not true for everyone that like they don't want to have an abortion or they like whatever like, then everyone should have a choice. And this goes back to going back to our First Amendment rights and our right to have a choice that has been, like, threatened and denied to us um, from the state.
2: And liver and onions, which is a conversation (laughs) we had before about why I don't think people should be allowed to ban liver and onions, just like I don't think people should be allowed to ban a board. Just as we part here, um, I have to share, like, again, I'm a very simple, like, you know, hills and hollers kind of guy down here in Appalachia, we have a name and have for years for alternative facts, and that's called bullshit, right? <laughs> so, like, I can say that on the podcast, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, you can look at the thing, but yes, you can. We'll see, we'll see, <laughs> see, see if it's on the terms. If not, uh, people just heard a great big long beep, and that's great, too. But, like, yeah, that's, that's where we are in America today, and- Ooh, we need some help. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: It's so sad. Um, but I believe, and that is the Christian side of me, that if enough of us like this podcast, I'm. it makes me so happy when I see podcasts because I think that this is a, a way of fighting against the system. And it gives me hope that through things like this, through grassroots people, through committed organizations, of really dismantling um, injustice, white supremacy, um, inequitable access to reproductive justice, when I see orgs that are committed, especially from the faith lands, because I am a Christian, it gives me hope. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why we need podcasts, and we have to encourage more people um, in the age of technology to take control of media, to take control and narrate your story however you see it absolutely mm-hmm.
0: give me help to go back mm-hmm. to my my uh tiktok thing uh i like we need to encourage people to i don't know like take antidepressants um so that they can actually step into their power and it really sucks that we we have to do all these things to step into the power that like we have been given from birth um and the talents that we have that we should be able to use um but until the day comes that we are no longer depressed and we're no longer um like put down by the powers that be um we have to like keep encouraging people to to use these given ways of working around the system yeah cool Mm.
1: thank
0: you well um it's been great talking i know we're about out of time And this is just going to be a really great episode. And I hope we'll have you back soon, Alana.
1: Of course. Please let me know when it airs on Spotify and the radio.